This episode, get ready for some hoopla. Hello, hello, and welcome to the 20th episode of Board Game Times, the podcast about the people, places, and events making tabletop gaming great in Chicago. As always, I'm your host, Clark Bender, and thanks for joining me. I hope your 22 has been great so far. It's already February, almost March, hard to believe it. Hope you've been having a great time and been playing plenty of games so far this year. In a moment, we'll get to this week's interview with Jay Bartelt. He's the president of the Gaming Hoopla event coming up at the end of April. But first, a quick announcement. Depending on how closely you follow the podcast, this episode is releasing about a week later than usual, so it's been three weeks since the last episode, and it looks like that schedule might be continuing for a while. As I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I'm about to start a brand new job in the board gaming industry, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to be joining Panda Game Manufacturing as a project manager, which means I'm going to be working with all sorts of board game publishers and creators to make their dreams a reality. I'm super excited about it. The job starts in a couple of weeks. Unfortunately, what that means is I'm going to be a lot busier, (laughs) and that may impact my ability to get the podcast out on a really regular basis. So for the moment, I'm going to try and move to every three weeks instead of every two weeks like it used to be. It just unfortunately takes a fair amount of time to create the podcast, to schedule the interviews, to do the interviews, to edit everything down. Bear with me. I'm just trying to kind of figure out what the new schedule looks like. Cross your fingers. Maybe I'll get back to every couple of weeks. Just going to depend on how streamlined I can get things and how the new job goes. But I hope to be talking about that more in the future as well. So wish me luck. I'm really looking forward to it. Super excited. That's it for my news right now. Let's get to this episode's interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined today by Jay Bartelt. Jay is the president of the Gaming Hoopla. This is an event that is held every year. Jay will tell us all about it. Jay, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Clark. So I always like to start by getting to know the person I'm talking to a little bit. Jay, tell me a little bit about your background. Where are you from? What's your Chicago connection? How did you get into gaming? I'll let you start and I'll ask some questions from there. Sure. I am not in Chicago anymore, but I am a lifelong Chicagoan. I, I grew up in the western suburbs in, uh, in Hinsdale, uh, is where I spent a vast majority of my, of my youth playing a lot of video games. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to see my age, but let's just say I'm over 50. So I was around during the heyday of Atari 2600 and uh, all the rest of the computer and video game revolution. So I spent a lot of time in my life playing those those games. I really wasn't much of a board gamer until very much later in my life. I spent a vast majority of my career in the Chicago area uh, working at Walgreens at their corporate headquarters uh, in various IT positions. And a good friend of mine, Tom Rogers, uh, one day said to me, I had been lamenting about the fact that I started getting tired of 
playing games where I'm sitting in a room by myself with the lights off, with a headset on and saying, I just miss people. And my friend Tom says to me, you know, after work, my friends and I play board games in the Walgreen cafeteria. Why don't you join us one day? And I said, sure. And I played a couple of games and I thought these are, these are kind of interesting. And I ended up going out and getting my first game when I read an article about this new type of game called a cooperative game and this specific one called Pandemic. And it was an article that might have even have been in the Chicago Tribune. And I went and saw this article and I said, this sounds kind of interesting. So I went out and I, and I got the rules and read them. And the, you know, anyone who's read the rules to Pandemic know that it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful rule book. It really does do a great job of explaining how to play the game. And got together with some friends and I really didn't know how the game was going to play. And I couldn't figure out kind of what the big deal was. And we're all playing. And you, as you, as you probably know, because most people have played Pandemic, there's that city deck of cards, the infected. So you're infecting cities and you're discarding them. And then you're drawing cards into your hand each round to waiting for that, uh, that epidemic card to come up. And suddenly it comes up. That first time, and I'm looking at the rules and it says, okay, first I pull that card from the bottom of the city deck, the infection deck, and I'm putting cubes out there. And they said, now shuffle up the cards and put them back on top of the deck. And I shuffle up the cards and I'm putting back on top of the deck. And all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, <laughs> all these cities are going to come out again. Wait a minute, this isn't an easy game at all. This game is actually really hard now. And I, and I was hooked. I mean, like that was that moment of when I said, these games are not Monopoly or life. This is really making my brain trip out. And I've been hooked ever since. So that was back in the 2010 era. So I've been, but I've been, I dove in headfirst ever since. That's fantastic. So like me, do you feel a little bad when there's a breakout in Chicago when you're playing Pandemic? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I'm like uh, like contributing to the problem. You mean <laughs> like we haven't done our jobs properly, right? right exactly. Like I'm, you're playing the game. You're like we we got to take care of Chicago. It's it's our hometown, no matter what. <laughs> it's like I know the CDC is in Atlanta, but I really we got to look out for Chicago. <laughs> exactly. It just doesn't. It makes no strategic sense, but we got to do it. <laughs> do you remember the games that you played in the Walgreens cafeteria that day? Yes, I do remember one of them. Um, one of the first games that I played was Kingsburg. And uh, as a as the very first kind of dice placement game, so it's kind of that combination of worker placement, but through dice, I found it super super interesting. I'm glad that I had a person like Tom to to lead me into it. Someone who is who continues to be very enthusiastic about the hobby and was a good teacher and brought games that weren't going to overwhelm you need that medium weight Euro to kind of really dip your toe in. And it's just a whole different kind of game. You know, the, it makes your brain think differently. I, as I get older, I've lost my Twitch skills for games. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I can't get on a video game and, and compete with anybody at this point. I'm just, uh, everything is slowed down. So, but board games still keep my mind fresh and, and, and alive. And it's, and it's the way I like to spend my time. Absolutely. Keep the challenge going, but in a new way, right? Exactly. Exactly. 
So I'm going to go backwards a little bit, rewind things. Was there gaming in your family background? Did your parents do any kind of gaming? I don't know if you had siblings. Was there any gaming in the household? Not really. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And we played standard, some standard board games, uh, stuff that's in everybody's house. I still love some of those classic games. I spent the Christmas holiday at my parents' house and we broke out Yahtzee over and over again. I still think it's a fantastic game. I, I love playing it. love playing Scrabble. There's a lot of great classic games. Um, and we played those. We, we played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. That was back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. That was, that was the hotness. And my brother and I spent a lot of time playing Dungeons and Dragons. But that kind of went by the, the wayside as video games kind of entered in the 80s. There was people that stuck with the pen and paper. And, but my family really embraced the, the video games. What kind of video games did you find that you were drawn to? What's been the, has there been a particular type of game you've played over the years? Well, I've always loved the, the platformer games, the, the the Mario's, the the Donkey Kongs. Uh, those those kinds of games have been always attractive to me. Once uh, computer gaming came out, and my family was an early adopter of of Apple, the old Apple II and Apple IIc. For those of you who are also old listening to this. And for those, uh, I liked a lot of role-playing games like Ultima and uh, first-person shooters came in. And I learned all of my first-person shooters by playing Doom and Castle Wolfenstein and those types of games. So they were all on the computer. So I learned by mouse and keyboard. So by the time first-person shooters started happening on video game consoles, I realized I had no skill for that. So... <laughs> I, I get too excited and I can't aim correctly. And you can aim better with a mouse. I'm the same uh, way. Yeah, for sure. That's what for I sure. think, at least. And so, had you really followed board gaming at all during that time until your Walgreens experience? Were you aware of some of those other games, or was it pretty much like no straight from no. childhood to bang? Here's Kingsburg. That is exactly how it happened. I had no idea that there was this world of hobby board gaming. And even now, when I talk to people about what I do and they'll sit at work and be explaining to folks that I run this convention and, and, we, and I play hobby board games as my, as, my, as my hobby, people are saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, I, I, I know you don't, but you wouldn't believe that 2,000 games a year get released and you probably haven't heard of any of them. So, But you might like a lot of them. But you probably would like a lot of them. <laughs> you never know. So what was your experience like then after having that introduction with your friend and experiencing those first few board games and buying Pandemic? What was your journey like from then until now? I would say that I was a guy with too much disposable income. Anything that looked shiny, anything that looked new, anything that was different, didn't matter what the theme was. Um, I was snarfing up games left and right. I have a sizable collection considering it's only been 10, 12 years. I have a fairly sizable collection, but so many of them are games that I probably wouldn't play now, but I loved playing them back in the day because I just didn't know what I liked. 
you kind of have to try them to know whether you like them or you don't like them. And I was just one of those people that I couldn't wait to play somebody else's copy of it. I just wanted to get it. So, so yeah, I really, when I said I dove in, I really dove in. So where did you start and how have your tastes changed? Was there a particular type of game you tended to buy in the early days and now you would, you would buy a totally different kind of game or has your taste remained the same? Curious. It's more like I'm starting to realize what I don't want to play than it is about what I, what I do. Um, so a lot of times now I'll look for particular mechanisms. And if there are certain ones, I'm a little bit more doubtful about. Like most hobbyist gamers, I'm willing to try just about anything because you never know. If you say, I don't like area of control games, that's just like saying, I don't like wine. I mean, I, is it really like, do you've tried all kinds of wines, no matter what, and you don't like any of them? Uh, maybe there's some wines that you would like, maybe ones that are a little fruitier or have less tannins or whatever. So I kind of feel the same way about games. You know, I'm always willing to give them a try. And I think most people, most people in the hobby fall into that category. I'm willing to give it a try once, but for when it comes to purchasing now, I'm a little bit more calm than I was in the early days and just picking up whatever looked cool. Now I take a little bit more time to do some research. What's your typical gameplay setting? Do you have a, a group that you tend to play with? Do you do solo gaming? I do not do solo gaming. And I really, I really keep thinking that I want to and that I'll like it. And then I end up playing on the computer or doing something else. I, I don't know why there's, there seems to be some sort of block with me in solo games and it would have been a perfect opportunity during the pandemic. But the good news is, is that my wife and I, I met my wife through gaming and I have very similar interests. So I don't, I don't need to play solo because if I want to play, I can play two player with my wife, but um, we'll, we'll play at home. We've got some friends. I, I, uh, I, didn't mention that I now live in Grand Rapids, Michigan because of my work. And unfortunately, we got here just before the pandemic. So we were starting to go to meetups. We met some friends, some got some new friends in gaming, but then the pandemic and all most of the meetups got shut down. So we stay safe and we we meet on a regular basis with a, with a couple of friends. And between them and us, we work our way through new games and play some classics. And and that's that's what we do mostly. But like everybody else, I'm and I and I go to a lot of conventions because I run a convention. I like also attending ones, uh, and that was another thing that kind of got me more enthusiastic about the hobby was regularly attending conventions such as Geekway to the West and BGG Con and and lots of other local conventions. Let's talk about those conventions uh, and what inspired you to get involved with Gaming Hoopla. Gaming Hoopla started a couple of years before I joined in as a staffer. Gaming Hoopla was in Wisconsin in the Lake Geneva area, started back in 2008, 2009. That was a little bit before I even started getting into the hobby. My, again, keep bringing up Tom Rogers, but he did kind of lead me down the path uh, here when I first got into the hobby. He suggested that maybe we go and attend the, the Gaming Hoopla in Lake Geneva. There was maybe 50 people there, 75 people, and had a wonderful time. And even from the beginning, they were giving the, all the proceeds were given to the American Cancer Society at the time. We have a different uh, cancer charity now. To me, it really 
ticked off two buttons of being able to spend time learning and playing games and, and making new friends and also giving back to try to fight cancer. I myself, back in 2001, I had uh, testicular cancer. I caught it early. It had not metastasized. Uh, I was able to, through surgery and radiation, I didn't even have to experience chemo. So I feel very lucky about my personal experience with it. And I'll never forget the uh, last day of my, uh, I had a checkup after, you know, as, as anybody who's had cancer knows or knows somebody who has cancer and pretty much everybody has, you have to continue to go back to see your oncologist until they either say you're cleared or something's happened. And a lot of people have to basically go back for the rest of their lives. But I, after a number of years of going back and getting checkups, finally, my oncologist said, you know what, I, I, you're, you're clean. You don't, you don't have to make another appointment. And I'm in this cancer care center uh, having this appointment. And you kind of get to know all the people because you all have regular appointments and things. So you come into the waiting room, everybody is, you know, it's a, it's a grim place, but you know, everyone's friendly and, 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 and loving and, and people who are there with you experiencing similar things. Um, it's a very, uh, it's very emotional, but it, but it's also just, you know, you kind of have this camaraderie without even realizing you have it. And I go to the front desk, you know, everyone can kind of hear what's going on. I go to the front desk and the, the receptionist says, so when, uh, when are we sitting up, when's your next appointment? And I said, never again. And the room applauded and it was amazing. And um, I'll never forget that. And I walked out and I said, I want I want other people to feel that. I want other people to, to, to beat it. I want to fight so that people don't have to hear the words, you have cancer to begin with. And so to me, gaming hoopla was just a perfect, perfect way for me to enjoy my hobby and also give back. And at the first opportunity, I started asking, what can I do to help gaming hoopla out. And I started by donating games to their raffle, which is one of the ways they raise, one of the ways the game hoopla raises money is by having a raffle for hot games. So I started challenging myself to find games that would make people dip into their wallets. And I, I remember bringing in uh, a copy of uh, Antiquity from, from whatever splatter and imported it in. And back in the days when People didn't really have a bunch of imported games, and the Splatterspiel uh, box is gigantic and really impressive looking, and, and and people went crazy for it, and people are throwing tickets in there. And I realized this, and it's kind of it's really addictive. It's addictive to when you have the ability to give to continue to do that. Yeah, no, it's a great experience and a great a great reason to get involved. So Hoopla was actually your first convention. It was yes. No, and here you are. And here I am running the show now with a bunch of great folks that I couldn't do it without them. So what makes Gaming Hoopla special? We have a lot of the same types of stuff that you get from a typical convention. A lot of tables with a lot of open gaming. A library of games that you can just walk in and check the games out and play. We have a play and win section at most of our conventions so you can play the games and you write your name down saying that you played the game. And at the end, we give the game away to somebody who had their name on the list. We have tournaments 
and we have a, a silent auction where you can come in and sell your games and you donate 25% of the proceeds or up to 100% to Gaming Hoopla. But it's a, it's a really well, well attended and, and, and popular event. What I think separates us is that we, we have a lot of participation from our attendees to run games. It's a great convention if you're nervous about going to a convention because you're not sure what you're supposed to do. Because by the time the convention's ready to start, we'll have a couple of hundred games worth of events happening over the course of the weekend. And you can go onto tabletop events, which is where most people set up their conventions these days, and sign up for an event and just go in and sit down at the table when you're supposed to be there. And someone will teach the game and you'll have a great time learning something new and you don't, there's no pressure. It's a lot of the ways that a lot of our attendees who have been coming to Gaming Hoopa for a long time, that's a way they like to give back is they'll, they'll run events. So we normally have five to 600 that attend. So we'll have hundreds of games and it's just a great opportunity for people to come in and, and learn a game in a relaxed atmosphere. We're very serious about making sure that People feel safe in the environment, no matter, no matter who they are, no matter what they are, uh, no matter how they lean, no matter what their opinions are. If you come in and you're friendly and you're respectful for everybody else and are there to have a good time and make some friends, you're going to have a great time at, at Gaming Hoopla. I can't speak for everybody, but that size of a convention actually is the size I'm most familiar with, first of all. I haven't gone to any of the big conventions myself yet. And I'm fine with that. But that size of 200, 400, 500 people, I find to be a great size. It's big enough that you can have a lot of variety, but still can feel intimate. What was your experience like there at Hubel? Like what, what was a standout to you? Well, I mean, I think the whole experience was great. Like you, I've been involved in gaming for a shorter period of time. And I had gone to a convention, my first convention, right before the pandemic. So I'd gone to Dice Tower West, which was, I think, about a thousand people, right? So it's probably about twice the size of Hoopla, but it's all held in one gigantic room with the Dice Tower library sort of on one side. And so what I liked about Hoopla was it felt very much like that convention. I, I enjoyed that convention because it was really like Hoopla. It was built around gaming. There were a few small events, but it's not like there's just so many different big events going on that it's not knowable, right? So it's just like, it's really just the game room and the games. I like that intimacy. I like that focus on games. I don't need all the other stuff. What I'm really looking for is a weekend of gaming. And so I like that Gaming Hoopla really captured that. But then you also have some other things going on, right, that are game related. You've got the auction. You've got the raffle. It was a really nice mix of intimate and yet feeling like you had a lot of options. That's great to hear. We work really hard to try to make sure that people feel welcome because it is it is nerve-wracking no matter what size of the convention. It's, ner- it's nerve-wracking to go to a meetup for the first time and you don't know people and are you going to be welcome there? And we have staff members who are, who are used to that who are and, and, and people that I would call ambassadors who come to Hoopla every year who are always keeping their eyes open for people that look a little lost and make sure that they're feeling welcome and, and walking them around and making sure they understand what, what they can do and where they can go and, and make sure that they, they're having a great time. You did not found Gaming Hoopla. Who did? 
It was a it was a large a, a large group of people. There there's only um, a couple people left from the original from the original staff. Though the ones Corey and Brent Cunningham uh, brothers were were part of that group. Bill Corey was part of that group, and uh, he he was uh, a big driver of the initial group. But there was uh, six or seven of them that ran the hoopla, and we're up to I think we have nine on staff now, including me. One one funny thing is one of our staff members is Ryan Metzler. Ryan uh, was a uh, video reviewer of the Dice Tower back in the early days, so he was one of the first people to be a a content creator. And he came to me. I was uh, he and I were friends, and I was trying to get a hoopla set up, and it and I was working hard. And I said, "Oh, I'm working a lot of extra hours trying to get hoopla ready." And he says to me, "I don't understand why." you think this is really hard work. You're just, you're setting up some tables and people are sitting down and playing some games. What's the big deal? <laughs> and I said, why don't you join our staff and find out? Eventually he did take me up on that challenge. And then he came to me later. He's like, yeah, there is a lot of work. This is a lot harder to put together a convention than I thought it was. Well, talk to me about that a little bit. What is going on behind the scenes that an attendee might not understand or appreciate? So it starts with making sure that you have everything from having a, a venue that's going to have enough tables and chairs, which somebody from our staff has to lay out the design to providing and collecting games for a library or collecting donations and, and acquiring games for a raffle. You know, as an example, there's probably, I think, 30 to 35 Kickstarters that I'm personally waiting for that's going to bring games that are going to be in our auction. Because what's really important about our, our auction is it's got, we want to have games in there that are going to make people jump for their wallets. They're going to look at that and say, wow, this is the Kickstarter edition that has all these Kickstarter exclusives and all the extra chunky pieces. And it's the deluxe, super deluxe edition. You know, it's not something that you can buy at Target. And curating a library, you can, you can make a library that's just thousands of games. And that's, that's great. But we wanted a game library that was three to 400 games that were very carefully curated. But even then, for every Hoopla, we have to have, we want to have the hot games. Beth Hiley is one of our staff members. You know Beth because I think you interviewed her. One of my earlier episodes, yes. Right. So Beth is part of our groups and she's been invaluable, both from her knowledge perspective and you know, we have kind of that inside track on understanding what's going on from the from the board gaming world because she travels on behalf of Board Game Geek to do things. So she ran down and got us some games at uh, Gen Con before this last fall's hoopla. Some of the games that were in our library were from her personal collection, and they were uh, people. People loved all these games, and she she basically donated her games for the weekend that she had just bought at Gen Con for the use of our attendees, and we had a better convention as a result. So I do things like the contractual work for all of us and make sure our contracts are straight. There's always a balancing act of I want our hotel to do well. I want them to make money because I want them to want us to come back. But we're a cancer charity. I want to give as little as possible to the hotel that I want to give to our cancer charity. 
And then we have technology that we have to deal with. We have policies we have to deal with. And, you know, as, as the years have, have gone on, we have made sure that we're making a, a very inclusive and welcoming environment to all types of folks. The fact that it's a cancer charity sort of brings out a particular type of person more than others. And that's another reason why it's kind of welcoming, I think. What is going on during a Hoopla weekend for you personally? I work normally about 18 hours a day at uh, Hoopla. I fill in for spots that are needed, such as maybe I'll sit at the library for a while or I'll sit at the front desk. I don't know. I'm like the sweeper on the soccer team. The person just kind of goes where I need to go and plug holes. Um, I'm the person who stays up the latest, so I'm the one who closes it every night. And I run some some special events, like in the springtime, I'll I'll definitely be running two events. One is our our very important gamer, our VIG program, where we run a two hour event with uh, trivia and games and prizes just for VIGs in a room. That's always a big hit and it's always thematic. Ticket to Ride has got some anniversary stuff that's on the horizon, and so we're going to be running a Ticket to Ride themed event. And then I run, a, I run a pandemic event that is called Pandemic Survival, which is two players cooperatively, but it's 12 teams of two. And there's special rules. Everyone uses, everyone actually has the same, the cards that you pull are, are exactly the same on every table. And then I run the infection deck for everybody. So I pull the cities so that everyone's playing exactly the same game. So it's not, there isn't any luck-based winners. I mean, certainly if you're guessing better than others and if a city comes up that's more advantageous, there's luck involved. But it's really all about the strategy and it's a really, really fun version of the game. And, and I have copies of all the base games, the base game enough to run this tournament every year. So I run that normally on, on a Saturday afternoon and it always fills up. It's a lot of fun. I get to wear a lab coat. That's a lot of copies of Pandemic you have to tote around. It really is. It, that's a little bit painful, but I've got it down to a science now of having it in a big tote. So, How about staffers and volunteers? Are you in need of them? And if so, what kinds of things would they be doing and how can they get involved? So staffing is, is fine at this point. We just added a new staffer whose sole job is going to be making sure that special events and tournaments run a guy named Adam who has been running crokinole tournaments and pitch car tournaments and things like that at our at our convention and wanted to get involved. And so it was the perfect fit for him because sometimes putting together special events is, is pretty time consuming. So he's been working uh, with some of our attendees, for example, on a big uh, space themed game set of games that's going to be part of a large tournament that'll run over the whole weekend. So if you love space games, it's going to be great convention to, to, to come in and give it a try. As for volunteers, we could always use volunteers and we use volunteers to help us at our library just to fill some shifts and to be there. And when people come to check out a game, you scan the game and scan their barcode on their, on their badge and, and off they go. Registration desk helps sell raffle tickets or, or get people's badges when they arrive. Uh, there's uh, help with the uh, silent auction, especially at the end of our silent auction when things get really crazy. 
there's just always people checking stuff out and people who do a buy it now, uh, we need to ring them up and stuff like that. So there's, there's always volunteer opportunities and at the gaminghoopla.com, our website, there's, there's a way to, uh, to look for volunteers and otherwise uh, just send in a note just saying, Hey, I want to volunteer. How do I do that? And we'll reach out to you. All right. Well, in a couple of minutes, we'll get to all the nuts and bolts. We'll give you a chance to talk about all the dates and times and costs and where people can sign up and what events are going on. But this seems like an appropriate time to take you through the mini game, our questionnaire that we have on every episode. Are you prepared, Jay? Yes, I am mentally prepared for whatever questions you throw my way. <laughs> Nothing can prepare you for the mini game, Jay. <laughs> all right, then. Let's get into it. My first question for you, what is your gaming beverage of choice? Oh, uh, well, I have two. I like, I'm a big coffee fan, just black coffee, the darker, the better. And I am a big fan of most zero sugar sodas. So Cherry Coke Zero and Mountain Dew Zero Sugar and all the rest. I guess I I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I just like to be fully caffeinated. <laughs> hey, that's an asset in gaming, right? <laughs> it sure is, yes. And as a Diet Mountain Dew drinker, I appreciate at least half of your drinking beverages of choice. Have you tried the new Mountain Dew Spark? I did. It was interesting. All those Mountain Dew flavors are interesting. None of them has quite beaten out the uh, yeah. original for me, except maybe yeah. Baja Blast. I do like mm. that a lot. The Taco Bell Mountain Dew. But that's for another podcast. My Mountain Dew podcast, which I'll be starting <laughs> next week. No. All right, then. Next question. What is your preferred number of players at the gaming table? Four. Four because most games are not five player. They're four players. So you take away a lot of possibilities if you go to five. There's still plenty of them out there, but... Uh, four is that perfect number that covers just about all games, and, and it's social. So that's what I like the best. Okay, my next question for you. What is your most admirable gaming trait or behavior? Hmm. I would say that I am a a fairly fast gamer. I'm not one of those people that needs to win. I like winning. Winning's fine, but I don't need to. And when I'm learning a game, I understand that's what's happening. If I'm in a first play of a game, I'm not going to try to, I'm not a min-maxer, which is probably why I don't win a lot of games, but I'm not one of those people that sits for too long looking for an optimal move. What I spend most of my time doing is maybe in a first game, if I'm taking any time at all, it's because I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. Like it's a rule problem, not a, not a strategy problem. So let's say that I'm also a pretty good teacher of games. So people like learning from me because I'm pretty good at teaching. All right. Two good traits. Okay. The next question, true confession time. What is your least admirable gaming trait or behavior? Ooh. So I told you, I just told you that I often lose games because I don't care. Now, now I'm going to contradict that slightly and say that if I'm playing a game really badly, like if I'm getting really trounced in a game because I'm just, everybody is lapping me on the board or I've lost several games in a row. Like it, sometimes I'll go to a convention 
and we'll be starting to play games on Friday and it'll be like late on Saturday. And I realize I still haven't won a game since I've, since, since I've been here, I tend to get a little quiet and moody. And that's when my wife is there to try to snap me out of it, which is great. Um, but I would say that being a little bit moody when I'm not playing well is my least favorite trait about myself. I'll get a little quiet and I feel like I'm bringing down everybody's mood as a result. So I'm working on trying to remember, hey, it's still better than work no matter what I'm playing. And I'm right there with you, right there with you. Next question then, what is a type or genre of game that you just love to play? Oh, I'm a big fan of medium weight euros all the way back to Kingsburg. You know, games that are 60 to 90 minutes, give you some good mechanics, give you something fun to do. I love a good dice chucker. I'll play anything from super simple, like Super Mega Lucky Box or Yahtzee with my mother over Christmas. So, but I also love the, you know, like the new Roar and Right, the new Dinosaur Island one. It's got a lot of meat on the bone. Fleet the Dice game, the ones that, you know, two scoring pads, there's just too much to do. So I, I love all those kinds of things. So still, still like a good co-op and those are the ones that jump into my head. All right. Well, flip side of that then for the next question, what is a type or genre of game that you just don't enjoy? I would say that my general answer to that is gotcha games. And that gotcha could be in the form of some area control games, some Ameritrash games that involve taking people's pieces off the board. I guess that I think back on times when you spend five turns trying to get something down on the board and then somebody makes a move and just scoops it right off the board and you got to take it back. You know, obviously there's always exceptions to all these, like I like Nexus Ops, even though I'm not generally a game where I like people like battling things. I'd also call like social deduction games, kind of gotcha games where I feel like I'm, I'm just so bad at those games that it's just like, I'm like, I'm going to fake everybody out. And then people just like call me out like three seconds after the game starts. And I'm like, okay, great. I got to sit here the rest of the time. So, so yeah, I'd say mostly it's about games where you're, Messing other people's games up. Maybe it's a guilt thing. I have no idea. Next question then. What is a physical game component you love? I've always loved um, realistic components. And I I guess what I mean is like, instead of a a wood, brown cube is is wood, like looks like little logs. And I love stuff like that. But I, I guess if I was... I'd say that my favorite component is really, really good cards, like buttery cards that they're almost like slick to the touch. They shuffle beautifully. That to me, there's just something magical about. I mean, I've had games that have been truly, I think, borderline wrecked because the card quality is so poor. And it's normally not that they're too thin. I don't mean to call out a specific game, but one just jumped into my head, which was the redone version of of Biblios has cards that are just too stiff and thick. And and that's a game that is a card game. And when you're doing a card game, the cards are vitally important. You need to be able to shuffle them easily and deal them out. And the experience of that game was is somewhat wrecked by their by the version now that has these cards that are just not good quality. So 
So yeah, I'd say, I'm going to say buttery cards. I don't even know if that's actually a real thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. I like the sound of it. Buttery cards. Game designers, make sure your games have cards that are buttery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, now we're going to get into a few game recommendations here. What is a game you own but haven't played yet? Oh, uh, yeah. The Shelf of Shame. Yeah, I, yeah I've, got, uh, I've got shelves of shame. Here's the thing. When you're working to get games for auction... It's really hard not to order an extra copy for yourself. So I've got a lot of games still in shrink that I kickstarted two copies of it. And it's sitting there saying, why did you bother with me? And some ones that are front of mind are things like the new Eclipse is still in shrink. And it's the nice full version with the washed ships and everything else it's ready to go uh, and those pretty game trays yeah the game trays and the player mat and the, i mean it's got everything not touched it kingdom rush still sitting in shrink hasn't been touched i actually punched and put together all the organizer for gloomhaven and haven't played a single scenario of it yet I mean, it's <laughs> uh yeah i i can go on and on but suffice to say yeah there's there's plenty there all right then next question what is a game you really want to play, but never have? Sort of related, but you may not have it in your library. Two games off the top of my head that I'm most excited about right now. I'd love to play Sleeping Gods. I'm a big fan of Red Raven games and, and, and Ryan Lockett as a designer and illustrator. And my wife and I have played quite a bit of the near and far campaign and we've enjoyed all of those games. And then I hear about Sleeping Gods and that it's his best game that he's ever done. And I haven't been able to play it yet. So I don't have it. I'd love to get a copy of it and get it to the table at some point. And I guess the other one, which is the big hotness game that people are talking about that's not quite here yet or we're waiting for it is Ark Nova. Everyone who's played it that I know says, you got to play this game. It's incredible. So and hey, it's got it's, it's a zoo. It's got animals. Who doesn't want to play? Who doesn't want to play a zoo game? So it's a game that is getting a lot of buzz. That's for sure. All right, you've made it to the final question. Then, a game you currently want to recommend, and why? If I had to pick a game that I would recommend, I would say Quacks of Quedlinburg, with the upgraded board game geek components, which are the lovely tiles that you can draw out of the bag. So it's a bag. It's a bag draw game. It has so much replayability, but it's easy to teach. It's easy to understand. I mean, my, my parents who always complain about how dumb they think they are and can't learn games, we taught them Quacks of Quedlinburg and they loved it. The base game is super fun to play. Both expansions to the game, the Herb Witches and Alchemists are both great expansions. Alchemists solve some problems with the base game once you've played it a while there's some incentive to have a different type of strategy when you're playing the alchemist but at the end of the day pulling out tiles out of a bag and putting them in your cauldron hoping that you're not going to pull that one last tile that's going to blow up your cauldron and cause you all sorts of grief it's such a fun game and it's just a great gateway game to me for folks so that's the one i would recommend 
great recommendation and I can second pretty much everything you have said. I've never, never not had a success bringing that to the table with a wide variety of people. Universally loved. There's a reason why they've sold a zillion copies. So yeah, absolutely. Well, well done. Well, there you go. You made it through my gamut of questions. Your day is complete. Well done. So now we get to the shameless promotion part of the podcast. Let's go through the basics for people about how they can get to Hoopla, when it is, where it is, what they can do there. I give the mic to you. All right. So the uh, 2022 Gaming Hoopla is going to be over the weekend of April 29th through May 1st. We run it at the Double Tree. Hilton in Mundelein, Illinois, near uh, Libertyville. You're not sure where Mundelein is, so northwest suburb of Chicago. We sell weekend badges at $60 a piece, and we do have day, day tickets for $30 if you just wanted to come and try it out for a day. The convention runs normally 8 a.m. to basically 2 a.m., except on Sunday it closes at 5 in the afternoon. And like I said, we have a, a raffle that we give away a ton of games. There's normally 75 to 100 games in the, uh, in the raffle. We had maybe 1,000 games in the silent auction. And that ends on Saturday nights. Tournaments, library, play and win, lots of events to sign up for. And the best news of all is that all the money that you give to us, uh, once we've paid the hotel, we give every single nickel over to Aurora Cancer Care, which is Aurora, uh, not Aurora, Illinois, but Aurora, the chain that's out of Wisconsin. We we are originally a Wisconsin nonprofit, but we moved down into the Chicago area for our actual convention, but we still work with this Wisconsin Cancer Care Center. They're a phenomenal group to work with. So you can play and have a great time at a convention and know that any money that you're being spent is helping to eradicate cancer. It's fantastic. And how much money did you give away at the 2021 event? I forget. Uh, a little over $20,000. Wow. So we have given over the years about $125,000 to cancer charities. And that's because we, we have ramped up and a vast majority of that money has been given in the last four years. And that was at a partial event too, as you said, with only about half of your audience. We were pretty much shocked at how generous everybody was. Uh, we were thinking it would be about half that amount. We were super excited by the generosity of our attendees. And it seems like it just continues to grow every year. Everyone just keeps digging deep. You know, everyone, everyone's impacted by it. You either, you either had it yourself or you had a family member that was impacted by it. It's just something we just got to keep focused on and even through our pandemics and, and everything else that's going on, cancer is, it still kills people in great numbers. And we need to keep focused on it and work hard. And let's do it by playing some board games and having a lot of fun together. Absolutely. Fantastic way to, to do both. Give back to the community and to have some fun yourself. If I hadn't been to the event already, I would say it sounds like a great event. But having been to the event, I can attest to it. It's an excellent event. Jay talks about the raffle and the auction, and it may not sound like much, but I got to tell you that raffle was incredible. There were a lot of games on that table, and a lot of it was the hotness and a lot of games you would want or older games that you would want. Fantastic selection. That auction was great. As he said, there was just a wall full of games. 
a wall in a hotel convention room sized uh, group of games. So there was just everything there. So great experience, a chance to sit at a lot of tables, meet a lot of people. It's about getting out and meeting the people in our community that play games on top of anything else. If you've got your group, that's great, but it's always nice to go meet some new people and socialize and keep building the hobby. And an event like Gaming Hoopla is just a fantastic opportunity for that. So thank you to everybody, to you and your staff and your volunteers for hosting such a great event. And best of luck with this year's event. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. And like I said, GamingHoopla.com is where you can go to get more information. And it's also listed on BGG and tabletop events. Hope to see a bunch of you there. Come find me if you if you decide to come and say hello. Fantastic. Go get your tickets to Gaming Hoopla. Plan to meet up with some of your fellow Chicago area gamers and play a bunch of games and give some money to a great charity. You won't regret it. Jay, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Best of luck to you in this and everything and hope to talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Clark. Take care. Okay, and that is it. Thanks to Jay Bartelt from the Gaming Hoopla for talking to me this episode. I hope you'll come to the Hoopla event and support this worthy cause. My own mother passed away from cancer, so for me personally, it's great to be able to support a meaningful cause like this while also participating in the hobby I love. I hope you'll do the same. And if you do come to the Hoopla, please come find me and introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you and talk about games and play some. If you enjoyed today's podcast or any of the prior episodes, please tell me about it. You can always reach me at clark at boardgametimes.com, that's times with an S, or on the Board Game Times page on Facebook. Another way you can really help out, please tell your friends about the podcast and rate and review it wherever you find it. That's how we get the word out and let people know that hopefully it's a podcast people like. And as always, thanks for listening, play lots of games, be good to one another, and may all your board game times be the best of times. Take care.